conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back. Today I am joined by Vita Ayala and we are talking all about their comic, The Wilds, which came out on Black Mask. Vita, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Doing my best. <laughs> As we all are. Yes, God. It's all we can do <laughs> is our best. Yeah, so I want to dive in by talking about how this project came to fruition on Black Mask. I admittedly am not super familiar with every comic book publisher. I kind of know the big two in Image, and that's sort of more in my wheelhouse for now. But I've been looking to expand what I've been reading. So when I saw this was on Black Mask, I was like checking out their website. So is this also creator-owned like Images? Yes, this is a creator-owned comic. Black Mask is a small indie publisher that does creator-owned work or puts out creator-owned comics. A lot of Names that have become more household names because of their work through the big two or image or some of the middle tier publishers have published through Black Mask. So like Teeny Howard and Matt Rosenberg and Tyler Boss and, you know, there's a lot. Mags also published and publishes, I guess, continues to publish with Black Mask. It's it's uh, it's really small. The staff is like two people. <laughs> Teeny tiny publisher. I think sometimes that's better in a sense, though, because you know you're getting their full attention when it comes to your project, for the most part, anyway. Obviously, they have multiple projects going on at once, but it's not something where you can sort of get lost in who works in what department and who works for what titles, you know, like with Marvel, I know there's like an X-Men editor and then there's an Avengers editor or something. And it just seems to get crazy. Yeah. The, the thing about Black Mask is it's, it's small. And also all of the creators are very involved with the company. Uh, so when there were conventions <laughs> back in the olden days, <laughs> uh, you know, like creators would often help run the booth and, you know, help set up breakdown a lot it's it's basically a very diy company where it's like you want a book cool we'll put it out you got to do all the stuff for it it's like, <laughs> yeah. all right cool <laughs> so it's 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 both it's very freeing because there was very little interference in terms of the content but also it was like a it's like a crash course in how to how to make comics because you each team was responsible for their own book i guess it's very much like the image model um but we did have direct access to the publisher <laughs> Yeah, and I imagine where Black Mass comes in is they help with distributing yes, your book, absolutely. and that's super important. You want it in as many comic book stores as possible, and you want it in even bookstores. I think I bought mine actually from Bookshop, and I was like, oh, they have comics here. I am going to do that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's also Black Mask does the design for the books and you know through the publisher uh our team was linked up with the cover artist that we were working with us because one of the things that they really were invested in um was that the cover art should be kind of it's part of the story and they wanted a cover artist so that you know the interior artist didn't have to produce stuff on top of that but also one cover artist so it was cohesive I, yeah. I i really liked that and so in that way the cover artist is actually just part of the team so yeah they they do stuff like that they are really good the publisher is like a hollywood guy too so he's really good about getting buzz on books that he wants to you know elevate and 
I'm sure that he's shopping stuff around for option and stuff like that. Cause he's out in LA. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff that, that can happen, but he, he, he has a policy of being, as long as you don't get too buck wild, very good. <laughs> so you can do your thing. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for going over that. I think it's just important to sort of get a look at how comics actually come out depending on the publisher, because a lot of people are just fans on sort of this level where they don't really pay attention to what's going on on the business end. And I think it's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's a lot for sure. And I think it's important to share some of that information, obviously not the nitty gritty details that probably not too many people will be super interested in, but just sort of this broad perspective on how these things get made, how certain publishers work. But for the Wilds in particular, and I don't want to get into spoiler territory too much, usually I do, but this came out last year and I sort of just want everyone to know about it. So for the Wilds, you worked closely with Emily Pearson on this. How did that relationship come about? Through Twitter, actually. Uh, Emily and I still have not met, which is a real shame. Uh, We were going to meet uh, at the second, like Emerald City or whatever this year, and it just never happened. But uh, I was going through Twitter and I saw Emily's (laughs) Overwatch fan art. And I was like, this artist is incredible. And so I reached out and I was like, hey, I really like your stuff. And we started talking and I was like, do, do you want to, do you want to work together? Not knowing that Emily was like 1920, like a full, full baby. <laughs> <laughs> I found that out later. I was like, you, the youth are truly a gift. I can't, I, I can't, I still can't draw, but even if I could being 1920 and being able to do that kind of stuff is incredible. Um, but yeah, we started talking, um, and we wanted to work together and I had a couple of kind of raw ideas. Um, the wilds. The core idea I had been working on for a long time since college, but it was very different before Emily kind of got involved. And then, you know, we were having conversations and she was like, well, I'm kind of into this idea because I gave her a couple to choose from, I believe. And I was like, cool, what do you want to draw? <laughs> in my mind, I was like, you're going to be drawing this for a while, so you should like it. <laughs> you shouldn't hate going to work. She was like, well, I really like cute girls, nature and mutations like mutants. And I was like, okay, (laughs) because my original idea had one of those and that was the cute girls. Uh, So I kind of, through more and more conversations, we kind of came up with this idea for what the slight spoiler, I guess, if you haven't seen the cover, what the zombies look like (laughs) in this world. It's a post-apocalyptic zombie story in which the zombies are beautiful instead of grotesque. And I found out that her mom is a horticulturalist and I was like oh so you know plants great and so like that's kind of where where it kind of took off yeah it was a uh, history after that <laughs> yeah I love that the zombies aren't necessarily creepy looking undead people you know you have the flowers coming out of them and I was like "Ooh, this is a very interesting choice because you almost want to keep looking at them but at the same time you need them to go away yeah we wanted them we wanted them to be as beautiful as that kind of monster can be for me part of that was thinking about them as plants and just plants are beautiful. (laughs) Um, They're beautiful and colorful. Um, Even the poisonous ones. I wanted to invoke that kind of idea of nature being beautiful, but deadly. Um, And also 
kind of more thematically kind of talk about how sometimes the most the most beautiful things are are dangerous. So that's that's kind of where we were coming at it from. Um, and Emily, I was like, <laughs> I was trying to figure out a way to to justify why it looks the way it does because I'm that kind of person. I like to figure out like in universe logic. It doesn't have to be <laughs> real world logic. It just has to be consistent. And I was like, oh, it's like they get this this disease or this bacteria or something that changes their bodies and makes them super fertile for plants. And Mm -hmm. so just plant stuff that blows into like, you know, that would blow into someone's face and you'd wipe it away and you'd be fine. uh, takes root. And so that's why like it's coming out of like their eyes and their ears and nose and mouth. That's why like if, if they have plants coming out, it's usually from a wound. It's because the seeds blew into, you know, wherever it was and took root there. (laughs) Yeah, I have to admit it was a little bizarre reading this in the current state of everything going on with the pandemic, because while this isn't necessarily rooted in the same kind of backstory, you had this sort of plague that hit, if I'm not mistaken, and you have these groups of people who are just trying to survive. And I think the fact that you have a couple central locations really helps give you a sense of how isolated people are, even though they might leave the compound and go to the medical center. You get a sense that there's kind of nothing in between except for these zombies. And I know I said I didn't want to get into spoilers, but I think broadly speaking, you have this idea that plays really well a lot of the time, you know, you and I were talking about Stephen King stuff before we hit record here, and it kind of reminded me of The Stand, in a sense, Mm. because you have these two central locations in that story, and there's a journey to get to them and to get in between from one to the other, but you really get a sense it's like these people versus these people, and there's going to be something that happens, and it feels sort of inevitable, and I don't want to say predictable, but it's something that just naturally makes sense for this kind of story. One of the things that I was interested in, um, even before Emily, uh, you know, we were collaborating, was I wasn't interested in the fall of humanity. Mm -hmm. I I wasn't interested in kind of how we figure out our shit. Like, I feel like that's been done multiple times and been done much better than I could do. You know, I was writing this in... 2017 and it started coming out in 2018 um, in singles and so I was like the walking dead exists I'm not that's not the story I want to tell yeah (laughs) um, but what interested me was like what would it be 10 years down the line when we've kind of stabilized is maybe not the best word but stabilized enough where we weren't concerned with moment-to-moment survival what does it look like when the world has completely changed but humanity has kind of found a new equilibrium and I think that, you know, part of that was, well, we have a, we have a tendency to try to go back to, to the center of, of what we knew before, right? Mm-hmm. And so what does that look like when you have all of these spaces that are kind of untenable? Well, I was reading, rereading, because it's one of my favorite comics, uh, Mouse Guard at the time, and I was thinking about like those open spaces and that kind of stuff. And I was playing last of us um and all that kind of stuff and i was like what what do we look like well we look the same way we look exactly the same and i wanted to talk about that 
in that world. I mean, really, it's thematically really about the exploitation of people of color, especially Black people, especially Black women. And I just thought that, like, having this extreme post-apocalyptic situation would heighten all of the drama in a way that would make it drive the point home a little more. (laughs) And we don't need to see the plague actually happen in order to understand just how far things have fallen, in a sense. And even though a lot of these issues that you touch on would have been issues before the plague, they're even more amplified now that you're working within a smaller population and that these people are constantly so close together all of the time, because it's not like this compound is the span of an entire city or county or something. They're all within close quarters. And you really get a sense that through the diversity of your characters, you understand what each one is going through. And I really love that because for me, There are plenty, plenty, plenty of comics with white people in them, and I have read many of them, as I'm sure any comic book fan has. But to get a story like this, it's just so refreshing to get these different perspectives in this format that I love. When I was first, like, writing it down, um, somebody asked me, I can't remember who, why, why write the zombie story it's been done a million times like walking dead exists like you know all of the romero stuff exists there's you know resident evil all this stuff exists why bother doing it again and you know part of my response was well but those stories are always from a very specific kind of perspective yeah. or almost always from a very specific kind of perspective and it hasn't really been done to death in terms of brown people talking about what it would be like and so I think that it wasn't necessarily an agenda, but I was like, I, I think that almost every story has been told. What makes new things interesting is that it's from a different perspective. We only tell, what is it, like seven stories or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so the thing that we bring to it has to be a new lens, a new way of examining it. Um, and I was like, yeah, the main character is a queer black woman. Uh, have we seen this before in zombie stuff? Main character? I don't think so. (laughs) Not to my knowledge. (laughs) If we have, then I've missed it and that's on me. But also I don't, I don't think so. And I think that that does change things in a very significant way, Mm -hmm. or at least I tried to show that anyway. (laughs) Well, I think you did a wonderful job at doing that because I was blown away by the art, the characters, just the whole thing and how it came together because I went into it knowing absolutely nothing about the comic. I was just like, this art on the cover looks great. I've heard of, you know, these creators. I'm going to read it. And it just all falls into place. You have tension between your main character and so many other characters at the same time. You have this sort of push and pull because she has her girlfriend, and then you have the mechanic who is also infatuated with her. So there's this whole thing going on where these characters are very human. They have the same fallacies that humans do. They have the same problems that all humans do. And even though zombies aren't a thing in reality, thankfully, you know. (laughs) Knock on wood. Oof. The way 2020 is going. (laughs) Yeah, uh, you know, 
hopefully I didn't jinx us there, but you created this world in fiction that still feels very real from the characters' perspectives. Thank you. That was what we were going for. You know, Emily and I would have these conversations about what we wanted to do, and it wasn't, I mean, one of the strengths of doing creator-owned stuff is that your collaborators, your co-creators are truly co-creators, right? Like, it's just all jumbled up. I can't draw, so that that part is all Emily. But, like, the story (laughs) stuff is all kind of are going back and forth with each other. Um, And we would talk about certain things, and then I'd go and I'd meditate on it while I was trying to write. And, And that was, to me, one of the most important things was to make this feel as real as possible, not in terms of, like, adhering to the rules of the universe we actually live in, but consistent. I wanted it to be consistent internally and I wanted, because that gives all the reactions to things that the characters have much more believability. Um, And so that was something that like I had at the forefront of my mind and I know that Emily did as well. Um, And then Marissa did as well, our, our, our colorist. Yeah. It feels like it was very important for you to have the input of other people who were working on this for the story. You know, it says that the story was by you and Emily, which doesn't always happen. Usually it's like writer, artist, you know, they have their separate roles. But for you, was it crucial to have that input from the artist you're working with? Yeah, I mean, this isn't, like I said, this is a creator-owned book. Um, so none of it, like, Emily wasn't working for hire. Like, yeah. she, She and I created this together. And so even though... I had the original kind of core idea um, and a bunch of the characters and stuff. It wasn't, it couldn't have been what it is without Emily. I don't know what the zombies would have looked like if she hadn't been part of the project and if someone else had been my co-creator. I don't know. She's super into the landscape as well, like just Mm -hmm. nature in general. And so she did a lot of really cool work with, with that. And I don't know what the book would be like without that. Um, she she also had a lot to say about the characters and about things that she wanted to see. And that changed how I was writing um, as well, as it should. Um, but yeah, like she'd make a comment and I'd be like, oh, I didn't even. Hmm. All right. Well, if that, then I have to do this and change this and do this. Oh, okay. And like it completely changed, you know, parts of the book. I remember... I was writing, I can't remember what issue it was, but she was like, we haven't seen Heather in a while. And I was like, oh, you're right. (laughs) Oh, no. And I didn't want to do the thing, the classic, like, this is a story to save my girlfriend. Because I was like, well, no, Heather's a whole important character. And so that changed how I wrote the next parts with Heather. And I gave her a lot more confrontational action that I was going to because of that. And I was like, Oh, this, this makes it way better. Like this is like, there were things that I I fell into the trap of not being comfortable, but of just being like, well, this is how it's done. Um, And so Emily was, was crucial to, to not letting me do that as was, as was uh, our editor, Danny Lore. So I had a lot of help. (laughs) It sounds like that Emily really helped sort of edit things along the way as she was preparing to draw the issues and things like that. So did that significantly change your personal work process for how you write comics? Yeah, I mean, I think every project is a learning experience. And that it was such a joy to be able to work so closely 
with my collaborator that I, I feel like I'm very spoiled because now I want to do that. Um, and it also taught me like I'd already been leaning towards a slightly looser style um, of, of scripting, but it really underscored to me that I had to leave as much room for the artist to do their thing as they were comfortable with. I don't want to give so little that they have to do a lot of extra work, but you know, it helped me find more of a balance of giving information, but leaving interpretation up to the artist, right? Because they have to translate the nonsense that I write into something that people will see. Yeah. It's amazing when some creators will, you know, put the scripts in the back of the trades and stuff like that. And I read through them and I'm like, how did this come out of this? <laughs> you know? I love that. You just get a <laughs> sense that these creators have such a great working relationship that not as many words are needed to tell an artist the gist of the story and still give them that creativity to take it in a direction that they might think is a better fit for certain things. And it's something that I just find so fascinating. And I love talking to people about their process because nobody's process is exactly the same. The outcome yeah. might look exactly the same. You know, a comic book looks like a comic book. There are different stories, different pictures, but in a general sense, they're all comic books, but they come about in such amazing ways that you don't really stop and think about them necessarily until you're given those sort of sneak peeks at what goes on when creators are working together. And I think you and Emily definitely have something that is a prime example of what you can make happen with the internet these days. And, and to be fair too, I think that like at first she was a little nervous to break out of the stuff that I have on the page, mm -hmm. like the number of panels or like that kind of stuff. And I think she got much more comfortable as it went on. And I think it shows. I think that the first issue was beautiful, but I think you can really see her being like, I'm going to try some new stuff. Or I'm going to do this as the, you know, as the book goes on. And it's, it's, it's delightful for me to see because I'm just like, yes, don't, my word is not law in any way, shape or form. No writer's word should be the end all be all. It's, this is a team sport. <laughs> yeah. And what's fun towards the end of your book here with the first volume of The Wilds is that you have the best runs and you have different artists coming in and telling these quick little stories. You know, they're only a few pages, but it's something that you can just sort of wrap up with and get to know these characters a little more in depth based on how they tell stories. Yeah, and the in the single issues, actually each issue had its own best run. So it was okay. broken up over the five. Um, and so <laughs> the idea was to, when you get to the end, um, you read the last best run, it loops you back to the first issue because you have a small flashback um, in the first issue of what happened. That you know, like sense. a moment there. Um, I'm really big into like rereadability. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, this might be fun. Um, and originally, actually, Emily was going to do them. Um, and then she finished the first one. She was like, there's so many pages and this is supposed to be a monthly book. I can't, I cannot do this. Can yeah. I suggest some artists to come in? And I was like, oh, that's a great idea, actually. Let's just do, you know, we decided like a, each story would have a different, would have a different artist to fit that, you know, the, the art style would fit the character that it was about. Um, so that was, again, that was Emily's just being kind of a low-key genius there. Um, <laughs> 
and it was fun. Um, it was also an excuse to either work with friends cause I'm, I'm friends with now I'm friends with all of those people, but, uh, you know, I, I was friends with a couple and then also just to like, it's, it's hard to get, it's, a, you know, it's hard to be published. Right. <laughs> and like, even though some of the people there were already published, like having more publishing credits under your name is always like a good thing. So I was like, Oh, I can, you know, I'll make sure that, you know, they have this that they can put in their portfolio or whatever. And you put all of their names on the front cover of the trade, which is amazing because half the time I just see writer artist, that's it. And I'm just like, I don't really know who all of the colorists are and the letterers. And I was like, I know who Jordi Belair is because <laughs> how can you not? But <laughs> the, it's one of those things where I've been actively trying to pay more attention to credits on things, whether it's TV, movies, comics, and just really get a sense for which creators are creating the things that I want to see. Because sometimes I'll watch a movie and I'll be like, I really like this. And then I go look at the director's previous work or something. And I'm like, oh, they did all of these things too. That makes sense as to why I like this so much. <laughs> and I've noticed the same with many comic book creators, just because I'm finally, you know, getting it in my head that I should pay attention to these things. So it's great that you did that for all of the creators. And even, like you said, Danny, who edited their last names on here as well. And it's just one of those things where sometimes names would always feel like they were tucked away in the yeah. pages of the comics. And I'm like, okay, there's a lot of names on the front of this. I don't know why, but I'm very intrigued. <laughs> I also get kind of bummed out when there are like, sometimes there's only like a name on a cover. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. like, and it just, it bums me out because everyone that worked on the book worked really hard. Even if they had, you know, they had a four page story or they had a single issue or whatever. Um, we had a, a colorist come in for the fourth issue just because of time. Yeah. Uh, Stella Dia and they're, they're an amazing colorist, but I was like, you all worked on this book. <laughs> like you should be on the cover. That's just how it is. And I, I noticed a couple of companies doing that, but it was something like that I hadn't necessarily seen on everything. And so I just wanted them. I knew we had a big crew, but I just wanted mm -hmm. to make sure that they would get on the first, front page so i you know i emailed the publisher and i was like can we do this and he was like we can do this for the trade <laughs> yeah and we'll do our best f you know to make sure that it's on the trade the the biggest bummer to me is that we couldn't fit everyone on the spine but at least we got the 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 team you know the the people that worked for the longest time on it on the side which is great. yeah and obviously with the spine, much more limited space. <laughs> you know, you can only fit yes. so much there between publisher, book title, creator titles, you know, the little publisher logo, the number for what volume it is. There's a lot that goes into the spine, surprisingly, for comics. But <laughs> I love that you did that. And it just goes to show how many creators can go into one comic and give you something that you enjoy. And sure, you can do it with fewer creators too. Obviously, like you mentioned, due to time and things like that, it's much harder. But you get a sense that a lot of love and care went into this book. And I think with creator-owned titles, I don't want to say that Marvel and DC don't do the same, but I think you can feel it a little more when you're reading these characters that people have actually 
created because with Marvel and DC, so few people get to actually create characters to where you're like, okay, if you read the creator's work on their specific character, you can see it. But at the same time, they still don't own it entirely. It's like they have that credit, but it's not entirely theirs. Yeah, it's, you know, I do, I do both creator-owned and, and licensed work. And I am very committed to everything that I do. But there is something there is something to be said about when you've created something from the ground up. <laughs> you can you can feel the weight of not just the work but the hopes and expectations I think the like you put on something like this um, and and to be fair I feel like because creator owned books don't have as much of a a resource pool in terms of like marketing and all this other stuff mm-hmm. I think you know indie creators tend to know that they have to put their whole effort into everything involving the book. Um, not that people that do licensed work don't commit. That's not what I'm saying. But what yeah. I'm saying is like, uh, we didn't have a marketing team. <laughs> we didn't have, you know, publicity. We didn't have like that kind of stuff. Um, and so every single step, we tried to give it its best chance because we knew that it wouldn't get, you know, it's, we're very proud of this book, but it's not, it's, it's never going to be, you know, X-Men. <laughs> it's never going to sell like that. But as long as we did our absolute best job, then we knew that we had something that, even if someone found it two years from now, hopefully they would, you know, they would see how much work we put into it. Yeah. Do you find working on licensed things, like when you did Morbius for Marvel, does that help you at least get your name out there, make people more aware of you, and then hopefully they're more inclined to buy those creator-owned titles? Because I know for me, because I have read a lot more of Marvel and DC, I'll see these creators pop up, like Tom King, for instance. I saw his name pop up for whatever it was he was working on for DC at the time. And then I found something like the Sheriff of Babylon and the other things he had worked on outside of DC. And I think if someone is as big of a comic book fan as I am, that's pretty probable that they're going to find creators they enjoy and then dive into all of their work. But for a general comic book consumer, do you still think that working on licensed properties helps a lot with getting your name out there and people finding your other work? Oh, yeah, definitely. That's not why I do it, but it's, right. a, it's a, lovely, <laughs> a lovely byproduct of that. Yeah, absolutely. I've had people who've read my licensed stuff, especially things like Morbius, because that's horror, who've been like, do you do any other horror? And I'm like, well, here you are. (laughs) Here's Submerged, which is not exactly horror horror, but it does have those flavors to it. Um, I feel like as long as I'm doing good work on this licensed stuff, uh, hopefully uh, people will be interested in what I do when I'm not doing licensed stuff. That is definitely the hope. There will definitely be people who will read my license stuff and go, I don't want to read anything else from this person, which is totally fine. <laughs> totally understandable. Um, but hopefully there is some, some crossover. I don't know how much there is though. I d- haven't really done a lot of like research into kind of how that works, but. It might be hard to find out unless someone like me literally tells you. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you'd have to like do surveys and stuff. <laughs> 
you've talked to retailers and go, well, they read this and then they wanted this, right? <laughs> True. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like even with something like Morbius, obviously the character's not Spider-Man. So that yeah. title in itself is pretty, pretty specific to a certain group of people. Not everyone who loves Marvel is going to be reading Morbius comics. Like you said, it's kind of more a horror comic. Not everyone loves horror. Horror is a very specific thing for very specific people like myself. And I think when you get titles like that, even if they are licensed, you're still hitting a smaller target audience within that big audience that Marvel has. Yeah, that's true, too. But the Morbius fans are super into Morbius. Yes. <laughs> I gotta tell you, like, diehard fans, I really appreciate that kind of stuff. Yeah, I feel like with licensed stuff, my goal is to tell the best stories that I can that could only be told with those characters. Um, and I feel like if I'm being true to that goal, then maybe people will be interested in what I do when I create the characters whole cloth. Well, you have vampires and zombies under your belt. So are there more <laughs> sort of horror kind of creatures in the works in your future? If I can. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. If I could write more vampire stuff, I would do that too. Uh, I love, I'm a big horror fan in general. I love monsters. I love like the classic universal stuff and also folk folklore and that kind of stuff. So, you know, given the chance, I will happily do so. I do have plans to possibly do some werewolf stuff, hopefully, um, in the future. I'm a very big fan of werewolves. Not as much as Danny Lore, but pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I love monster stuff. If I was given the choice to do so, I would write about monsters all the time. <laughs> Yeah, so one final question on The Wilds. It was five issues, and then you had those best-run stories at the end that basically make up another issue on their own. But is this something that's still ongoing? Is it just going to be this one volume? Do you have future plans for the comic still? If we can put out another volume, Emily and I will absolutely do that. Um, one of the things that's a little hard with creator-owned stuff in general, and I'm sure you know that, if you get page rates at all, it's it's not it's not going to be the same as working licensed stuff. And that makes sense because, you know, companies like Black Mask are smaller companies. And so to make it kind of, to make sure that we can afford to do the book, we have to take time off from the book, unfortunately. Right. Um, but yeah, we, I mean, the two of us, we could do, we've got stuff planned through another, I don't know, 19... 20 issues. Okay. And that's just stuff we already have planned. <laughs> that's amazing. Good to know. <laughs> well, Vita, is there anything else you want to discuss about the wilds before we wrap up here? I mean, I guess I hope that people find it um, when they need it. Right. Like this is, mm -hmm. this is a more kind of, or a less subtle book in terms of the kind of books that I write you know it is about exploitation very clearly it is about injustice it is about what we do to each other and I think that sometimes you just have to like you need to read that kind of thing I know I do I know I go out and read things that kind of scratch that itch and so I I just hope that if you're looking for that kind of book but through the lens of zombies and also cute queer women then you find this book <laughs> Yeah, I felt like this was the perfect time to read it too. And I 
didn't plan it that way. It's just how it happened. And I think if anyone is still listening to this, you know, we've touched on some minor spoilers, I would say, but there's still so much going on in this comic that we didn't discuss in detail because I want everyone to go out and buy this, read it. Hopefully you love it as much as I did. Thank you. (laughs) And Vita, thank you so much for coming on to talk about the wilds. It's been a blast, even though, you know, the ice cream man decided had to get a few words in there. (laughs) Thank you for having me. This was, this was really wonderful. I really appreciate, you know, all the support that you, that you've showed me and, and my co-creators not just on this book but just in general yeah of course and i am more than happy to have you back on if you ever want to geek out about anything else (laughs) thank you all right everyone that does it for this episode of welcome to geekdom if you want to support the podcast you can do so through our patreon you can sign up for a dollar a month that'll get you a thank you on the show two dollars a month you get to pick a topic that myself and a guest will discuss on the show for five dollars a month you can join the welcome to geekdom slack group where you can talk to myself and various guests who have been on the show if you want to follow us on socials you can do so at geekdom pod on twitter and at welcome to geekdom on instagram and facebook and as always thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day